Did you know Montana has an unusually high number of UFO sightings? And some of the stories are quite compelling. And did you also know they're home to many alleged haunted highways? Welcome back to the swamp, my friends, and welcome if you're new. Today I'm going to be sharing some creepy and allegedly true encounters sent in from the state of Montana. Now these stories were sent in by viewers just like you, and if you have a story that you would like to share in a future episode, be sure to submit it at swampdweller.net or on reddit at r slash thedarkswamp. I'm always looking for more stories from other states to share. Now, without further ado, be sure to kick that like button in the face and be sure to subscribe if you're new because I upload new videos almost every single day. Now, let's jump into these creepy and allegedly true Montana horror stories that'll freak you out tonight. Hey Swamp Folk, before we jump right into these Montana horror stories, I just wanted to tell you about one of the latest true crime podcasts that I have been binging, Morning Cup of Murder. You remember those desktop calendars that would tell you about what happened on that day in history? Well, Morning Cup of Murder took that idea and turned it into a daily podcast that now has over 850 episodes that dives into serial killers, cults, cold cases, murders, and more. Morning Cup of Murder is the best way to start your day because each episode is less than 10 minutes minutes long, so it's perfect to listen to while having that first cup of coffee or tea in the morning. Morning Cup of Murder can be heard everywhere you listen to podcasts. Check out Morning Cup of Murder today. You can find links in the description. Something Dangerous Rooms, Montana by Abyssal Angel. I experienced this back when I was 14. Now, I am 23 years old. Back then, I lived on the outskirts of a small town in Montana. Behind my home, there was a forest. Now, I had never stepped a foot in those woods until that day. The only time I had ever gotten close to that forest was when I was tasked with walking my dog, Charlie. Now, Charlie is a fairly big dog. I had never seen him cower before or since. On one of our walks, I heard a noise in the woods. It was the sound of a branch snapping. Occasionally, whenever I took walks with Charlie, I would hear these types of noises. One thing to mention, though, is that whenever I took Charlie out during the day, there would never be any noises. It would only occur during dusk or dawn or at nighttime. I would always hear them around that same time. The day I decided to head in was an extraordinary day because it was my 14th birthday. After everyone was in bed, I snuck out with Charlie and we navigated our way through the woods. Well, we tried to. We ended up getting lost and came upon an abandoned shed. Then, the last thing I expected happened. Charlie started whimpering. That was never a good sign. I had wondered if there was someone here with us, but I couldn't see anybody. I didn't think that I would need any form of protection, so I didn't have any on me. And that's when I started hearing odd sounds. Crunching and snapping noises started to come from all around. Animals in the woods went quiet, the bugs, everything. I was terrified, so all I could do was run to the shed and try to hide. Something was getting closer by the minute. I heard the leaves crunching. It was the only way I could tell how close it was getting. Then a loud bang resonated through the woods. It was walking on top of the roof. I couldn't stop shaking, but I'd like to think that Charlie could tell how scared I was because he started licking me. Around five to ten minutes later, it had hopped off the roof and I peeked out of the nearest window. There was a human-like creature there, grotesque long limbs, pale-like skin glistening in the moon. It had jagged bones and joints. It was extremely thin, 
It looked like it could fall apart at any moment, but had this aura of strength to it. Instead of bumps on the spine, it had these things that looked like the tips of knives. I felt sick to my stomach and almost threw up right then and there. I managed to get a glimpse of its face. It was roundish. Its eyes were beady. They looked to be black, but I'm not completely sure. They were glassy like the eyes of a doll. Lifeless and soulless. Soon, it had started to walk away, but not without turning back and letting out a demonic roar. Like the roar of a lion mixed with the caw of a raven. Low-key, I think it knew I was there. I don't know what prevented it from killing me, but whatever it was, I am eternally grateful. Remember, if there are woods near you and you hear strange sounds, never forget that there are things out there that won't be as merciful as this one was to me. And if anyone knows what this thing was, please let me know in the comments down below. And thank you, Swamp Dweller, for sharing my story. It's very, very much appreciated. Hello, my name is James, and I've been a huge fan of the show for quite some time, and it would mean the world if you use my story. My story completely takes place at my house and my barn. I live in Montana on a small farm. We, being my mom and I, live off my dad's income as a world photographer. However, my mom keeps a small farm with two dairy cows, a few goats, and some hens. At the time of my story, it was summer, but my mom homeschools me year-round because I don't live near any other people other than my grandmother, about a quarter mile away from us, so it's not much different from any other time of the year. I wake up, help my mom take care of the animals, maybe do a tiny bit of school with her and play outside. One day, our oldest goat goes missing. We both saw him in the morning. We took care of everyone, but that afternoon he was suddenly gone. We had no idea where he went, but that was until around a week later when the goat's body was put out our driveway, covered in blood and cut up with his neck completely stretched out. I mean like snapped and unnaturally long, it was freaky. I brushed it off and tried to forget it ever happened. Exactly three days later, I remember playing outside in the afternoon when I went climbing a tree for fun. Since I did this a lot, I had no worries. It was a really tall tree, by the way, I'm talking about 50 feet or more. I got as high as I could before the branches got too small and would break under me when I felt like I got pulled by something. Like a gust of wind pulled me out of the tree. I fell all the way down, landing on my back, layer after layer, snapping through the trees in agonizing pain, when I was suddenly shaken awake by my mom. Apparently, she watched me walk outside to the tree, and before I even made it halfway, I collapsed on the ground. That's when she woke me up. I don't know if I ever did fall out of that tree or what, but it's all really confusing and convoluted in my memory. But it gets even worse from here. I was getting scared to go to bed at night. When I did start to fall asleep, I would jump out of my bed uncontrollably and say something like, I need to go to the chicken. That's all I could think and I don't know why. I left my room and went to the chicken coop near the back door. Walking over to it, I knew something bad was inside, but I couldn't stop walking. When I opened the door, I froze. Inside was all of our chickens, but they were dead. Every last one of them. Except for one standing in the middle. Most of its feathers were ripped out, showing the bloody sling underneath. But it's the neck. Its neck was twisted and elongated. It was like two feet long. We made eye contact and I could hear something calling my name. James. James. I ran to my house. 
It sounded like whatever this thing was was right behind me the entire time. I could hear its heavy breathing and its footsteps. I did whatever I had to do to make it to the door and shut it tight before the monster could get to me. I eventually went back to my room, not able to sleep for that entire night, but luckily I never did see that thing ever again, and it didn't take any more of my animals. I have no idea what it was doing to those animals next, and I quite frankly don't want to know. Montana Highway UFO Sighting by Anonymous My mother shared this story with me when I was a kid and I entirely believe it. She and her friend, who shall remain nameless, were traveling after work from Great Falls, Montana for a camping trip up at Holland Lake. The sky was darkened more than usual with impending storm clouds. Along the way, they had found themselves inadvertently sandwiched in a three-semi-convoy heading down the highway, doing around 55 miles per hour. As my mom and her friend passed Lincoln, Montana, a heavy downpour began, severely limiting their ability to see. It was at this point that my mom and her friend were surprised when the passenger window completely dropped, in such a way that they were lucky that the window didn't break. My mom and her friend looked at the now completely open window. There, they saw a figure that was hovering next to their open window moving 55 miles per hour along with it. None of the semis seemed to react to this. My mom described the figure of which she could only see the head and shoulders as a man wearing a World War era gas mask. They immediately pulled over at the bar in Clearwater Junction, where they then received a free shot each, the bartender commenting that they both looked like they'd just seen a ghost. Fast forward to 1987, my mom comes across the just-released communion by Whitley Stryber and immediately freaks out. She shows the picture to her friend. The first thing her friend did was scream and they all yelled that they never ever want to bring that incident up again. A Farm Story by Anonymous I had only met my grandfather once before we moved in. I think I was around seven or so, I don't quite remember much from that time. When my mom and my dad passed away, I tried to take away that part of my life entirely. Eric and I were left with no other family but an aunt. She was living overseas, so mom's dad was the only remaining option. Grandpa Mac lived on a 500-acre farm in the southeastern part of Montana. He had been raising sheep there since immigrating from Scotland in the 1930s. When we arrived, it was lambing time. Neither of us knew what to do, but Mac was a patient teacher. We caught on fast. We had no real choice, to be honest. Any day we had a little free time, Mac took us hunting or fishing. Season meant little to him. He'd follow most game laws, but if he saw a big buck, he'd take it. It was his land, after all. Nobody was going to tell him what he could or could not do as far as he was concerned. Pretty much as far as I know, we never really had any trouble, but this was in the 1960s. It may have helped us to be friends with the game warden. The initial spring was my first time ever seeing a grizzly. We'd run into one on our way up to the river. Even from 50 yards away, it was... It was definitely scary, and the power that it held was evidence. Its size awed me. One quick swipe with its giant paws could have ripped a tree in half. No warning to stay away would be needed. Neither Eric nor I wanted any trouble from one of those monsters. Mac led us away down a new path. I wouldn't see another for almost three years. 
A hungry male had caught an ewe out on its own. When Mac found the body, he knew well what had to be done. He grabbed his rifle and sadly, he had to end his favorite horse, Penny's life. I was left to guard the remaining flock while he was away. I drove the truck out into the pasture. Eric rode in the back with Max 30-30 as I patrolled the field. No more than 45 minutes passed and I caught sight of a grizzly ahead. I gunned it. We got about 50 or 60 yards away and I told Eric to shoot. The first shot hit him, but I think it only made him mad. He roared at us and I told Eric to keep on shooting. He dumped five or so more rounds into him before he fell. The great brute fought bravely but was no match for the Marlin's power. The beast may have appeared dead but I told Eric to stay in the truck. We had not been watching for long when Matt came over the hill. He slowed as he got closer, watching the motionless bear himself. He dismounted and drew his mauser from his sheath on the side of the horse's saddle. I held my breath as he inched closer to the beast. When he poked the bear with the rifle, he was within spitting distance. Once, twice, thrice, but nothing. The monster had been indeed slain. A 13-year-old boy had fallen one of Mother Nature's greatest predators. Once I was sure it was safe to breathe, I ran to the grizzly, Eric right behind. Max's work-worn face wore a smile, the first and last I can remember ever seeing from him. I'm not sure I believe it, but I surely see it. Well, you're sure a man now, boy. The remnant of a Scottish brogue bled through. Despite slight pangs of jealousy, I congratulated my little brother. Mac jestingly messed up his hair and shook his hand. If I had known this day would be a high point of our time with Mac, I perhaps would have savored it just a bit more. Since everything we did was a learning opportunity, Mac drew his knife and gave us a lesson on butchering grizzly in the field. The three of us carried the meat and hide back to the truck and tossed them into the bed. While Mac brought his horse into the stable, I drove the bear bits to the house. For most of that spring, we ate grizzly in every way possible. It is undoubtedly an acquired taste. I've had a coastal brown bear in Alaska before and the flavor proved far too fishy for me. Our bear was much more to my palate. I don't think Eric liked it much, but you ate what you were given when you lived at Max. Besides, I think it made him proud to provide such a large kill for us to eat. Life would continue much as it had through summer and into the winter. That year's winter was terrible. The blizzard of 1969 is still spoken of today around Montana. Things were tough, but Mac wasn't about to let a little snow beat him. We were all delighted to see that the thaw was finally arriving. Our hands were full with the lambing, but when we had some, Mac drove us out to the river for fishing. The trout were biting like crazy and we soon became separated. I never got the full story from him, but I believe he witnessed most of what happened. We all knew there were grizzlies in the area. Fish is one of their favorite food, and Eric and I had become accustomed to watching out for them by this time. I have no doubt that that morning, both creatures just stumbled upon one another. If you run into a female grizzly with her cubs in tow, she will attack. It's undoubtedly possible a fishing rod could look like a rifle to a bear. No matter what she was thinking, Eric never had a chance. Mac was the only one carrying a weapon, and it was already too late to do any good. He had only gotten off a few shots, but I think her having cubs along with his aim being a bit wide, perhaps even then, he was reluctant to make those cubs orphans. Sure, Mac was definitely all torn up about what he had seen, but I don't think he blamed that sow for how she reacted. The water was much too loud for me to hear the attack. The gunshots were the first thing that got my attention, to be honest. The haunting wail that soon followed. 
That's when I knew something terrible had happened. When I reached the scene, Max sat holding Eric in his arms, crying and moaning. Just the sight of this caused me to buckle. Soon, I too was wailing and screaming, cursing God for taking my little brother. I begged and bargained. In the end, it made no difference. I had a large hole inside me for a long time. But Mac, I think he died that day. I don't recall much of the rest of that afternoon. Dark was coming on when the sheriff showed up at the house. Eric was laid out on the table. I greeted him and his deputies at the door. Mac sat silently at the table alongside Eric's battered body. I led them into the kitchen. The sheriff talked to Mac, paying his respects and the like. I don't think he heard a word of it. Once the sheriff saw the body for himself, any doubt he had was gone. He left us alone to grieve, but the outside world kept butting in. A new person was calling every minute, offering their condolences. A few of the surrounding farmers even showed up. All that pity quickly became suffocating. I tried my best to be courteous to everyone, but without Mac to help, I got overwhelmed. I finally just started asking folks to go away. Most were understanding. It would eventually get quiet around 10.30. I made for bed not long after. Before I did, I stuck my head into the kitchen and bid Mac goodnight. He was in the process of cleaning the mess from Eric's body. He didn't bother to answer. Briefly, I considered telling him to leave that to the funeral home, but reconsidered. He needed to do it, and I didn't want to take it away from him. In the days leading up to the funeral, little was said. Mac would speak, but it pained him. Things still got done, but I think it was more out of habit and necessity than desire. When the funeral came from Mac, I could tell Mac had a hard time letting go. He would spend all day in his room, occasionally talking. I would assume to Eric. Although the ranch hands didn't mind one bit picking up the slack, I was concerned for his sanity. For me, work and school were saving grace. It kept my mind off things. If I had sat and dwelled on things all day, I would have become unwound in short order. In my opinion, Mac let himself feel too much, too fast. Ultimately, this story may be more tragic than horrifying, but bear attacks, wild animal attacks, etc. are all very real, very terrifying, and happen all the time. I miss my brother every single day, but I can tell you something. I am not afraid of the woods, and I am not afraid of any bears. I run alongside them all the time, and try to co-inhabit. It's not their fault. We just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time and nature took its course. All of these stories were terrifying in their own sense, but that last one is more horrifying than anything when you realize Montana is prime bear country. The area along with the Continental Divide that includes Glacier National Park has seen over 11 fatal bear attacks in the last 50 years. Thanks for listening to these creepy and allegedly true Montana horror stories sent in by viewers just like you. If you have a story that you would like to share in a future episode, be sure to submit your story at swampdweller.net or at r slash thedarkswamp on reddit. I would love to see your story and share it with everyone here in the swamp. If you enjoyed tonight's episode, please be sure to double slap that like button so it doesn't forget. Be sure to subscribe and turn on notifications if you're new as it helps the channel grow significantly. If you're on the go but don't have YouTube Premium and still want to listen to your favorite Swamp Dweller scary stories no matter where you are, you can download them absolutely free from Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, and pretty much anywhere else you find your favorite podcast online. 
If you're listening to this on one of those platforms, be sure to give us a 5 star rating over there as it helps us grow on those platforms. I'd love to know in the comments down below what story was your favorite tonight. I'd love to know if you've ever had any experiences or close calls with bears or other wildlife. You just never know when Yogi Bear is going to pull out a Glock and put a cap in that ass for that picnic a basket. If you made it all the way to the end of this episode, be sure to comment the code word juggling lemon so I know you made it. I'd love to see how many of you guys actually listen to the end. Thank you guys so much for the support and I'll see you all soon with another creepy episode.